Welcome back to Glue Guys. Brian is not here again uh, because of scheduling conflicts for everyone, but I got a delicious interview for you all. Uh, Net Income, Robert Windrum, Bob Windrum is on the pod, and it's going to be interesting. You're going to hear the edit, I'll admit. Uh, what, what happened was we recorded an interview with Mr. Net Income talking about Prokhorov, and then news came out that Brett Yormark, the CEO of the Nets, is resigning. Uh, so we linked back together and we did a little bit of that, like about 10 minutes on that, what that meant. And then on the back end of the pod, you're going to hear just a couple of thoughts that I have. Uh, one about Carmelo Anthony maybe being a Net, uh, that kind of rumors dispelled throughout the pod but just my overall thoughts about it and then just tacking on a few more positives of the Prokhorov era because I think it you know we always uh, glorify Sean Marks and we all love Kenny Atkinson but I do think there was sort of a third influencer in this Nets assaults and it was Prokhorov he was vitally important to what just happened so um, you'll hear this which you're hearing now and then you're going to hear the net income interview quick break and then coming back just a few more of my thoughts uh thank you all for listening so i cannot think of a better person to talk about prokhorov's legacy than mr bob windrum mr net income here on the line um let's first start with this just just generally how would you grade prokhorov as an owner good or bad how would you overall sort of assess his time as owner of the nets the key data point is where the Nets were when he arrived and where they are today. When he arrived, the Nets had just come off the 12 and 70 season. They had, they had a total of three scouts to cover the world. The assistant coaches had to pool their salaries in order to assure that one of them didn't get fired. One quarter of the non-basketball staff had been laid off and the remainder was forced to take unpaid Friday furloughs. And the debt of the team was virtually identical to the value of the team, about $200 million. You compare that to where we are today with the biggest, the biggest sales tag of all time in American sports. Um, the fact the team is a championship contender and that it is two of the biggest stars in the world. So I think the bottom line is that Prokhorov did a very good job as owner. He made mistakes. He had to pay out $123 million in his own money in order to finance luxury taxes, which he had agreed to as part of a attempt to, to move quickly into the championship arena. But at the end of the day, he learned from those lessons, and also he went out and hired you know, the, the staff that has brought the Nets to where he had hoped they would be a long time ago. You know, I think it's unusual, Perkarov's sort of reign as Nets owner, unusual across all sports, the fact that 
most people who buy a team own it for years and years and years. And if they don't, it's typically because something bad, something really bad happened or they're losing a lot of money. Um, now, Prokhorov may be not making a lot of money, but he is on this sale. Why is he selling the team? I think he's selling the team because the price is right. I think that's number one. Um, he is a businessman. Um, if he has had, I don't know if it's less interest in the team over the years, over the last few years, but certainly he has been he has been here less. Um, he's seen much fewer games. Um, he's still supporting the team, still supplying the resources. But I think at the end of the day, he's he's moving on. And he has owned the team for nine years. Now, compared to the Steinbrenners or the Dolans um, or the Maras, that's a short period of time. But if you go across the league, I think you'd find, and across sports leagues in general, I think nine years is a pretty good number. He owned Seska Moscow, which, of course, is his hometown, I think, for 12 years so we're not talking about we're not talking about a, a a big difference. I think again it was time they made a they had a good deal, the best deal anybody's ever gotten for an, for a professional sports team in the United States and so they decided to do to do it. Um I know of no other reason um at this point in time I don't know of any other reason why he why he chose to sell now. And the deal itself, if you could explain it, because it's somewhat complicated, it's Cy is now, does he own 100% of the team and nothing yet of the arena and then will own the arena? What's the deal look like? We don't know that yet. I mean, essentially a year ago, he purchased 49% of the team for $1.15 billion. That gave the team a valuation of $2.35 billion. In order to control the team, um, he would have to buy the remaining 51%. That was supposed to happen in 2021, but that option was accelerated. And now he will be purchasing the, the additional 51%, meaning a total of $2.35 billion, will have passed from Joe side to Michael Prokhorov. The question that remains is what happens to Barclays Center? Um, in an interview with us back in May, Sai said that he would love to participate, I think that's a direct quote, um, in the ownership of the arena, that that's what the league prefers, that's what other owners have told him. And it's uncertain as to when that's going to happen. Will that happen um, in concert with the sale of the team, or will that hold off? It appears from the post-reporting and they broke the story that the arena is part of the deal. Um, the New York Times, however, today reported that it will not take place at the same time. And remember this. The Nets and Barclays Center are just two pieces of Brooklyn sports and entertainment. Brooklyn sports and entertainment is everything. It's Nassau Coliseum, it's Webster Hall, it's the Brooklyn Paramount Theater, it's the Nets, the Long Island Nets, uh, etc. So those things are not going to be assets that Cy is interested in. So there's going to have to be some plan to ultimately separate those things out, sell them to other owners, retain some. I, I just don't know the I just don't know the the schedule or the details. 
But I think ultimately, Cy will control uh, Barclays Center. And that's also what the NBA prefers. The NBA prefers team owners to also own the, the, uh, the venue that they play in. So let's move on to Joseph Tsai. Um, we don't know quite exactly what owner he'll be because he hasn't necessarily been the owner of the Nets, even though he's been highly influential in the past you know, few months, year or so. What type of owner is he going to be? How different do you think he'll be than Prokhorov? I think the key thing for I think the key thing here is that he's probably going to be more personally involved with the uh, with the team. Um, I don't know how many games uh, Prokhorov attended this year, but it was a very small number, less than a handful, um, and they were all at, at Barclays Center. Sai has been attending games both home and away. He has been he has attended more games, for example, than Prokhorov has over the last couple of years since he bought the team, or year and a half, I guess it is. Um, and I think that he he expects this to be part of a larger sports presence that he's aiming at, and it will essentially be the key sports presence. I mean, he already owns he already owns a lacrosse team. But I think the key thing is that he, like Prokhorov, learned that you can't skip steps, that you have to go along on a very strategic path. And that's something I think that you'll see with regard to basketball operations. The success that Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson have had is permitting them to have the independence that they need and also it gives Sai, as it did Prokhorov, confidence in letting them and letting them go. The the two men have have roughly the same uh, fortune, about ten and a half billion dollars. Um, the question, to a certain extent, is um, how much of of Sai's uh, fortune net worth is is readily available. Prokhorov had a tendency to to gather up a lot of cash, and so he had a lot of cash available for for quick moves. Sai is more is more has more of his net worth in the in the stock of Alibaba, um, which of course is a publicly traded stock and is you know somewhat somewhat liable for um, for fluctuations. So I mean that's the only thing that anyone has expressed to me. The only the only difference. Um, Prokhorov maybe may have been more nimble, let's say, um, but on the other hand, Josai is a leader in China in e-commerce and artificial intelligence, and he's going to bring a lot of that um, to the table. Um, he's the first ethnic Chinese owner. He owns a or is a co-founder and executive vice president of the big e-commerce company in China, Alibaba. Um, and is on the board of directors of NBA China. So I think the big difference that you're going to see, I guess you'd call it the medium term, is the Nets marketing themselves uh, in China, trying to become Team China. And despite the, despite the current tensions between the two countries, um, there's no indication that there's any diminution of uh, of interest uh, in the NBA over there. In fact, I was reading today um, of the five highest-selling jerseys in China, two are, are Brooklyn Nets, 
Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Uh, the other three are LeBron James, Steph Curry, and James Harden. So they have a foundation now. The Nets have a foundation um, with that sort of popularity already in place and now size purchase of the team. Do we know that in the pitch to, I mean, it's funny to say in the pitch to get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving because we don't even really know if a pitch no. was made. <laughs> um, do we know that the, the China link appealed to Durant and Kyrie, or do we just not know that quite yet? I don't think we know that. I think it's certainly something that could have been part of the pitch, whether that pitch is through agents, whether that pitch is through business managers. But certainly, you know, there's value. There's value in that for for a player. Um, where is Spencer Dinwiddie this week? He's in China selling socks, um, and he's neither Kyrie Irving nor Kevin Durant. I mean, there's a lot of business opportunities, and also, you know, it's it's the expertise that Cy and his people bring in marketing and selling product in uh, in China. So I'm sure it wasn't lost on them, whether it was part of the pitch or not. Again, who knows? So one thing that I've been a little bit worried about, and this is the last thing we'll talk about, then I'll let you go, is that in the second round, the next, the Nets selected Jalen Hands. And Jalen Hands, we know, has a prior relationship with Joseph Tsai. There's a video that we posted on NetsDaily.com showing Joseph Tsai with Jalen Hands, where Tsai talks about how he watched Hands grow up that he played in high school, not grow up, fit, mm. like, but he saw him play in high school, and this was uh, Cy addressing team UC, the UCLA team while they were in China. Um, how much do we know about that second-round pick and how influential Joseph Cy was in maybe suggesting or being a part of that pick? Do we know anything, or is it just me being conspiracy theory over here and just thinking... I'm just trying to connect dots that maybe have no connection at all. There's no connection. I know the circumstances of that pick. I can't get into details, but I can assure you um, it was not because it was not because of Joe Tsai. <laughs> not because um, of a, a Twitter video that I saw on uh, online. No, no, <laughs> and and you know you have to. We have to recall that you know that Sean Marks traded away Joe Tsai's favorite player, Jeremy Lin. Um, with you know, which was a test for Cy. Um, you know, Jalen Hands is somebody who is somebody who he saw play in high school. Jeremy Lin is somebody he knew, um, and somebody he shared values with, and some and somebody he shared an Ivy League education with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, you know, Marks was able to without any without any um, without without any qualification from uh, from Psy to make that deal, which ultimately became a very smart deal because it, because it led as well to the, uh, to the uh, Kenneth Fareed uh, uh, salary dump. Um, so I think that, that Psy has said specifically to us um, that he'd like to see a Chinese player on both his teams, and he does have a Chinese player on the Liberty um, that he's going to let that essentially develop on its own. The Nets have had um, have had a uh, a couple of, of Chinese heritage players on the roster. They're well known in China. 
and I think that I think that ultimately that will happen. Um, but I don't think it's going to be a situation where the Nets basketball operations people feel they need to they need to make that kind of deal to satisfy their owner. Um, I think as long as they continue to succeed at the level that they've succeeded at, um, I think that Cy will give them a great deal of latitude. Um, he did that with Jeremy Lin, um, and uh, again, I can tell you that the that the circumstances of the Jalen Rose, excuse me, Jalen Hands pick um, had nothing to do uh, with Cy. It had to do with who was willing to be stashed, let's say. Um, but in any event, I, I think that there'll be a. I think that Marx is going to be able to maintain his independence. And I think what we need to point out with John Jeremy Lin is that the relationship between Cy and Lin is such to the point that what it was it Rondé House Jefferson last offseason got hurt while playing in China, and didn't Nets PR put out some kind of statement about what was it exactly that like it wasn't blaming. There was some implication no, um, of blaming. No, it was it was it was it was more innocuous than that. Um, essentially, that some of the Lin fans were upset that the Nets social media had not mentioned that the charity event at which Rondé was hurt was Lin's charity event. And Cy agreed with the with the Lynn partisans that it should have been mentioned, and the net social media uh, account did apologize. Right, and and Jeremy Lynn is still currently out there to be had by anyone, and he hasn't been signed by anyone. And I promise I had one more question, but this is the last one. We recently saw a report. I mean, Anthony Puccio and Ian Begley from SNY, and obviously Puccio with us here at Nets Daily. Uh, that Carmelo Anthony's been working out with some nets. What do we know about anything about that? We know, in the words of a league uh, a league source who I spoke to yesterday, it's friends playing with friends, that the nets have no interest, um, that, uh, in fact, it isn't just nets players who are working out with, uh, with Carmelo Anthony. It's a number of other NBA players. Um, none of this is sanctioned by the Nets. There's no indication uh, of any interest. And also, there's, there are limitations. Um, unless the Nets wanted to cut somebody, and there's certainly no indication of that, um, the only way that Carmelo Anthony could make his way onto the team is if the Nets gave him a non-guaranteed training camp invite. Would Carmelo Anthony even accept that? Would the Nets want to complicate the situation um, by bringing him in on a training camp invite? Remember, the Nets could have brought him in at the end of last year when they had an open roster spot. They, like their 29 other teams in the NBA, chose not to. Um, I think it's a difficult situation for Anthony, just as it's a difficult situation for Lynn. Um, but I think at the end of the day, both of them appear to be at the end of their, their NBA road. Uh, I was reading the South China Morning Post today, which is essentially run is that, by Joe do Tsai. They, do they deliver that to your doorstep, or how, how is that? How do you read the uh, South China? What is it? The South China Post? 
South China Morning Post, right? right um, I, I can't reveal how it's delivered, but, <laughs> but, I, but I can assure you it's authentic. Um, but they had a, and I, actually I was looking at the South China Morning Post to see if they had anything on, on the sale because it's size newspaper. Um, and uh, it's Ali, owned by Alibaba, and he's essentially the person who convinced Alibaba to purchase it. Um, but there was a story in there saying that Lin is now talking to Chinese teams. Um, and, of mm. course, he could make a lot more money playing in China than he could in Europe, probably a lot more money than he could, uh, you know, even if he, even if he got a, uh, you know, a... a, a some sort of exception from an NBA team um, because Chinese teams are now paying better than European teams. Uh, how long will that last? I don't know. But again, there was the report in the uh, in the South China Morning Post that uh, Lin is talking to Chinese teams. What do we know about Brett Yormark's exit from the Nets? What, what have you heard and what do you know? Well, basically, um, from what I understand, he believed it was time Number one, uh, and of course, anytime there's a new owner, um, he'll want his own people, uh, you know, at the top of the pyramid. And although everybody is happy with the basketball operations side, um, you know, the CEO is the is the top dog in the organization, and so it is a normal occurrence for um, for the old CEO to tender his resignation. And then the other thing I'm told is that you know the Brett um, has uh, will be compensated um, very well um, with an exit package that uh, you know, that some people might call the golden parachute. That uh, essentially that his contract provided that some uh, that he would get an exit package that was based in part uh, on the sale price uh, of the team. And uh, as we know, the sale price of the team was much higher than anybody thought. So, what what in your mind like exemplified the Brett Yarmark style? Because you know, I can't I can't say I know too many other business men or women who lead teams, but we certainly, if you follow the Nets, know Brett Yarmark. So, yeah. what was it about him that the fact that people like? A regular Nets fan would probably actually know who he was, or at least know his face. He was very aggressive, um, and that you know that won him both uh, plaudits and criticism. Um, he was the guy who moved the team from uh, from New Jersey to Brooklyn. Um, his role was so important that when it came time to officially announce the opening night uh, Barclays Center. Bruce Ratner, then the owner of the team, chose September 28th, your Mark's birthday, um, as opening night. So he was critical in the move. Um, the manner in which it was done uh, angered both New Jersey Nets fans and also angered um, some of the uh, Brooklyn residents um, who did not want uh, Barclay Center or the surrounding residential and office development to go forward. Um, and then, of course, he did have um, a major problem um, with the uh, with the Islanders' move. Um, that has not worked out, and that's being kind. Um, so, I mean, that was also controversial. So, you know, he was the type of he was the type of CEO that would barrel ahead, 
Um, and that uh, that style um, that style turned uh, into both a a uh, an asset and a liability for him. Um, but at the end of the day, um, a CEO of a team that was just sold for the most money ever in U.S. professional sports history. He will probably be um, a highly sought-after commodity um, once he departs uh, the uh, the headquarters of uh, Brooklyn Sports and uh, Entertainment, which is one floor below the HSS Training Center in Industry City. So it's his twin brother who's the business lead at Rock Nation. Is that right? What's the... He's the CEO of Rock Nation, correct. Is there any... Is there any possibility, I mean, of course there's a possibility, but do you think this does anything to the Nets relationship, which is now suddenly a very important relationship with Rock Nation? The fact that... Yes. Do you think this has any impact on that? No, I, I don't think so. I think the uh, I think that relationship is, is very much a business relationship. Uh, there are now four Nets um, that are represented by Rock Nation. Um, Kyrie Irving, Karis LeVert, Wilson Chandler, and Henry, Henry Ellenson, um, and also a former Rock Nation uh, agent is Kevin Durant's uh, manager. So I, I, I don't think it's going to make much difference. I think the I think the two organizations are now very much tied at the hip, and also. Uh, your marks number two, Mike Zadowski, left uh, earlier this week um, for Rock Nation Sports, where he will be the president of sales. So again, they're, 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 it's it's pretty much a business relationship, and I don't think this will have any effect. So essentially, for people who uh, may not understand, like each position within the Nets or a basketball team, your mark leaving affects what for? Brooklyn Nets organization overall? I think it goes back to the idea that the Nets are going to be very much uh, very much involved in international marketing. Um, although Yormark did push that, as he said, he would raise his hand anytime the NBA asked for volunteers to play overseas. Um, but now with with Joe Sy uh, as the owner, uh, I think that's going to become uh, even more of a central aspect of the team's uh, marketing. Um, and I think you may see less of a of a controversial um, personality in in that job. Uh, and finally, I think the key thing for the Nets is from a business side is Brooklyn Sports and Entertainment, of which he is CEO, is the holding company for all of Michael Prokhorov's um, sports assets. And not all of those assets are going to wind up uh, with uh, JSI Sports, um, which is Joe Sy's holding company. Um, some of them, like uh, the venues in, in uh, Manhattan, Webster Hall and Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Paramount Theater, are not something that Sai is going to be interested in. Um, it appears from uh, reports in the Post and things that I've heard that Nassau Coliseum uh, will not be included in any deal um, for for Sai. Uh, so I, I think you're going to ha- you're going to see some some 
very interesting um, developments uh, in, in that regard before all of this is, is cleared up. But I think what you may also see, bottom line, I, I, I should say, is I don't think you're going to see Psy try to expand the the brand um, as broadly as Prokhorov uh, with Euromark and Lee did um, in their last few years uh, as ownership, um, buying Nassau Coliseum, renovating the two theaters, looking for opportunities in London and Los Angeles. Uh, I think what you'll probably see is a more diminished um, uh, hierarchy, let's say, more more diminished um, ambitions. Um, but of course, you know, we don't know that much about anything right now. We're waiting for the press conference once again. Well, thank you so much. By the way, press conference, when are we going to get into Katie and Kyrie press conference? Is that happening? I think if there's anything that happens like that, it'll be close to media day, which is September 27th. Um, you know, you don't hold media, you don't hold big press conferences in August, um, when everybody's on vacation. And also, I think they wanted to make sure that Kevin Durant, um, was going to be more than ambulatory at a press conference. I mean, a press conference with Kevin Durant coming in on crutches, um, you know, uh, would not have been productive. That no doubt would have been the headline of any story of any press conference. Um, so I don't think they wanted to do that. I don't know that, but that's just that's that's my opinion. But I do think, I do think that at the end of the day, um, they also want to incorporate their arrival into the larger uh, campaign, let's call it, um, you know, which will include you know, which will include other new players and. And you know a a how shall we describe it a change in mission um, from rebuilding to contending. Uh, so I, I think it's more likely uh, that if we have a press conference, it'll be closer to media day, or it could wind up being part of media day. Um, you know we shall see. Uh, you know again, I don't anticipate anything in August or even early September. Perfect. Well, thanks again for uh, for joining the pod. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I'll talk to you. Some really good info in that interview there. You got a little bit of the behind the scenes about that Jalen Hands pick that I've been very worried about, about Joseph Sy, And we got a little mellow news um, and a little bit more about maybe what Jeremy Lin is going to be up to. I do want to hit on a few quick things real, real fast. It's going to be Carmelo to the Nets, uh, Prokhorov's legacy, and some national media hate for your Brooklyn Nets. A uh, first mellow to the Nets. So we talked about it in that interview, the fact that Carmelo Anthony's working out with Nets players. Um, it's interesting that that report comes back out because we've seen on Instagram Carmelo Anthony working out with players from all teams. And as Net Income said in the interview, Carmelo's, yes, he's working out there with Nets players, but he's also working out with players from other teams. So that's something that we knew. It's something that did not need to necessarily be reported, but I, I love the report. Why I love the report is because of this. I want Carmelo Anthony to come onto the Nets, and I know that's crazy, and it's not productive, and it's not the Nets' way, and Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson would not do that. They sign guys like David Nawaba, um, not Carmelo Anthony. I think David Nawaba. But here's my thing. I don't think Carmelo Anthony's done. 
Um, obviously, he his last you know year and a half of his career has been a real downward slope. The fact that he got exposed in the playoffs with the Oklahoma City Thunder, and he was on a Rockets team, a Rockets team that could have used a guy exactly like him, and he's told to just go away. I understand all of that. And what I don't want is for the Nets season to become a personality reclamation project for Kyrie Irving and a player reclamation project for Carmelo Anthony, but the Nets are in that rarefied air where a veteran who deserves more comes to the Nets because they want that opportunity to win a championship. It's very few cases. Obviously, there was going all the way back, Carl Malone going to the Lakers, Gary Payton going to the Lakers. We've just seen it over the years. Guys glomming on to LeBron's runs in Cleveland, Miami, Cleveland, now with the Lakers. David West being with the Warriors. I want Carmelo Anthony on the Brooklyn Nets. I want him on the Brooklyn Nets for so many reasons. One, I don't think he's done. I think he has a little bit more action left in him. Um, I don't want him to overtake Rodion's Karooks. It's a delicate balance here. I don't want him to overtake Rodion's Karooks, but while we know that Durant will likely not play at least most of the season, they could probably use uh, a sweet shooting four, an offensive-minded four in their lineup. Obviously not quite defensive-minded, and I am most worried about defense because that is what was exposed so brilliantly by the 76ers in the playoffs. That's why the Nets lost in the playoffs, but... Bring in Carmelo. You know, I understand everyone needs their role. And the Nets have this beautiful balance of, so KD is out. Kyrie is going to be leading the show. Kyrie will be allowed to get comfortable because he only has to worry about being the ball handler for a team that, like what Kenny Atkinson typically does with point guards, values the ball handler. So Kyrie can focus on himself. Joe Harris knows his role. Spencer Dinwiddie is a a bench guard who comes off the bench in his instant offense. Karis LeVert continues to be that ascendant player. Awkwardness with Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan, I understand that, but ultimately, that will get figured out. I mean, the amount of minutes between two centers can be figured out in the NBA pretty easily. Everyone mostly knows the role on the Nets. But I think they could use a little more juice. They could just use a little kick. And what Carmelo would bring would be scoring off the bench, because that would have to be the role you would lay out to Carmelo Anthony. You say, you're not a starter. You're with bench unit. Rodion Skarooks is going to start. You come in with the bench units. You and Dinwiddie run the show against second units, which would be a, a brilliant thing offensively. And then at the end of games, you'll probably be out there because they're, the Nets are probably not going to go with a center. Maybe it'll be Karooks at center, but for the most part, the Nets won't go for a center. It'll be Lavert, Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, Kyrie Irving, and I don't know, Wilson Chandler. Maybe it's Carmelo Anthony. Um, I think the Nets could use a little Carmelo Anthony. I really do. I don't. I I know. Again, the report we just talked about it by Windrum. It's, it's not like he's going to be on the team. Um, can't really sign a contract with the team. I get all those things. But I think he has more to offer. He's one of the elite offensive players of all time in the NBA, at least of his generation. 
he still can probably play the position that he needs to play right now in the NBA, at least in a limited sample size. And the final piece to all of this, it would feel awesome that Carmelo comes back to the Nets and is is a contributing factor, a feel-good story, while the Knicks continue to stink across the river. And I know I shouldn't be this petty, and I shouldn't uh, feel that way because the Nets won. They get Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. They stole the Knicks' plan right from out from under them. I shouldn't feel this way, but I do feel this way because you still are confronted by Knicks fans on a daily basis who seem to believe that it is their right to be the team of New York when, in fact, the Nets, over a much longer period of time, have actually been the much more relevant team in the NBA. Knicks fans continue to point to that one mellow J.R. Smith season where they were like third in the East, where the Nets have been to the NBA Finals twice and have consistently been the better team. They've also bottomed out maybe a few times more. I think it would be a nice coup de grace, I think is the term, to put it on over the Knicks that the Nets were the team that reclaimed Melo's greatness and used him for their purposes. I don't see the negative in it. I do understand. The negative is that you put a guy on your team, there's a lot of attention on Carmelo Anthony about his hope to reform and become a better player and he doesn't do it and that's an awkward situation and if the Nets have to get into an awkward situation where they have to cut Carmelo Anthony like the Houston Rockets had to do there's more attention on the Nets doing that than the Rockets doing that and I can almost guarantee you that Kevin Durant feels a certain positive feeling towards Carmelo Anthony and the Nets would have to it would be a very delicate balance being able to part with Carmelo Anthony, if they had to do that, it'd be a delicate balance. Carmelo's from Baltimore, Durant's from D.C. Those are two different cities. Far apart, trust me, I'm from the middle of that area. But I'm sure there's some type of relationship there. But overall, I think there's a big benefit to Carmelo being a net. And I just, I don't, I think it's worth an exploration by the Nets. And I know that the fact that they he played with Nets players doesn't mean anything. I completely get that. Just an exploration. Just feel it out. You know, the, the Nets field out the fact that Jeff Hornacek, so the Nets had Jeff Hornacek kind of like being a shadow assistant coach all last year, and they decided not to move forward with that. Use another Nick to, to decide whether... Make him a shadow practice player. See if Mel is willing to do that. And then move forward from there. We'll see what happens. Another point that I wanted to get to, and I'll just get to it super duper quick, is I just want to point out positives of the Prokhorov legacy. There are negatives that you could easily throw in his face. The fact that he so outlandishly came out and challenged the Knicks and put up that big, gigantic you know, poster on the side of a building with him and Jay-Z proclaiming that the Nets had this blueprint going forward that was going to take New York City right out from under the Knicks' feet. But Prokhorov did change. He did something that that so few men in power are able to do. He changed. 
he went from a guy who pushed and pushed and pushed. He pushed to the degree that he was the major influencer behind the worst trade in NBA history. We know that now, that he was pushing Billy King to make the trade that bring in Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett to the Nets that sent out all those draft picks that became all those players that we've heard about so much. Yes, he was that guy. And he ultimately began his ownership and had a failed team, a team that destroyed the next four years or so of the Nets. He is mostly, maybe just partly to blame. But he changed. He built the practice facility, Mazel Tov. He chose Sean Marks over Brian Colangelo. Just think about the decision at the time. No one knew who Sean Marks was only except as a like kind of bit player with the San Antonio Spurs, a literal player. Then he was an assistant GM of some sort with San Antonio, was not a guy that was highly thought of in terms of like that's the next genius GM. And the other option was Brian Colangelo, a guy who had this long resume, this storied basketball history with his father, Jerry Colangelo. It was a bold decision, a decision made by Prokhorov and the ownership group to pick Sean Marks. He's let Sean Marks work without obstruction from what we understand. He's allowed Marks to build slowly, hire a coach who no one at the time was all that excited about. He allowed Sean Marks to accept deals for the Nets to take on bad contracts for players that wouldn't even play for the Nets. Dwight Howard, the Dwight Howard trade, $24 million for one year. Dwight Howard's trade to the Nets. Three days later, he was gone, bought out. He allowed that to happen. That's a rare thing. Just think about that for a second. For years and years and years, we've been waiting for Dwight Howard to come to the Nets. He comes to the Nets. We even did a podcast after the trade happened. I pulled over. I was driving home to Maryland. I pulled over into a rest stop just north of Baltimore. So I could do a 30-minute pod with Brian about the fact that Dwight Howard is finally a net, and I think he can contribute. I think he can teach Jared Allen a thing or two, and I was kind of excited for it, and he gets bought out. $24 million. Uh, We don't know the exact makeup of the buyout, so I can't speak to that, but we're told it's roughly Dwight Howard mostly got all this money. Same season, Kenneth Freed, $14 million on his last year of his contract. Marks made the decision that Kenneth Reed had to go. They put him on waivers. That money had to be paid by Prokhorov to pay another player in the same season that he's paying Dwight Howard all this money not to play for his team. A guy who could have brought maybe like two fans to the building, maybe just two. He made a decision to to send out another guy to pay him not to play for the Nets. And, and to even go back a little bit further, the Mozgov-D'Angelo Russell trade no matter what they tried, they probably knew that Mozgov wasn't going to contribute. But Prokhorov allowed them to to make this trade to trade for a player he knew that he had to pay a lot of money to that wasn't going to do anything. For a team that wasn't making money, which the Nets weren't making money from what we can kind of understand, that is an extremely valuable thing that an owner can do. To put up money for a team that isn't making money so that that team can get better. Not many owners really do that, even though that's like what we say that they should do. They don't do that. And all of this led to this situation where the Nets got Kevin Durant to leave the dynasty that he was on to join the Brooklyn Nets, where Kyrie Irving left an extremely talented roster from a historical franchise to join the Brooklyn Nets. And obviously, Sean Marks deserves a ton of that credit. Kenny Atkinson deserves a ton of that credit. The current players on the team deserve a ton of that credit. But that 
infrastructure, the ability to allow that infrastructure to grow, is from Mikhail Prokhorov. So he deserves a significant amount of credit. I said this to net income in the pod. It's quite rare in sports that an owner um, has such a short period of time with a team that doesn't end in disaster. Normally when a guy leaves in a short period of time, nine years, is a short period of time as an owner. It's because they ran out of money, they're in debt, all these things. And maybe Perkrupp is that. You know, maybe we don't fully understand his economics. I certainly don't because I'm not a international economics. I don't understand sort of like the mineral trade system. You know, he sold ore. I think he's, he's a big ore seller. But he took a team that was struggling. He brought him in he brought him into Brooklyn kind of destroyed them allowed them then to build the right way did not double down on the bad building habits he led them to build the right way and then move forward and created the type of environment that brought in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving an amazing one um so that's the glue guys pod i apologize that it's just my voice i know that's like a lot to listen to um thank you all for listening rate us on itunes i promise brian will be back we have a scheduled very special pod next week um classic that we're going to do it's one of our summer favorites um i hope it'll happen we'll see uh thank you all for listening and um check out netsdaily.com itunes five stars we need and we want to have them at bk glue guys on twitter Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, boy!